Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in San Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Today is Monday, October 16th, and I just interviewed Rabbi Diana Fursco. She is the senior rabbi of the Village Temple in downtown Manhattan and the author of We Need to Talk About Anti-Semitism. Our conversation was so timely that I am releasing this as a bonus episode. Rabbi Fursco served as National Vice President of the Women's Rabbinic Network and is a member of the New York Board of Rabbis. She received her rabbinic ordination from Hebrew Union College, Jewish Institute of Religion, where she also earned a master's degree in Hebrew literature. For more than a decade, Rabbi Fursco has been preaching and teaching about anti-Semitism. I hope that this episode gives some comfort to all of us out there who are deeply troubled by what has gone on with the massacre in Israel by Hamas terrorist group. And I've been posting a lot on my own social media at Zibby Owens about this, how upset I am on behalf of everyone and everything. And 
you can follow my thoughts and feelings about it there, but wanted to get a rabbi's perspective on what we can do to help, what Jewish people can do, what non-Jewish people can do, how to talk to our kids, how to make decisions, and all of that. I hope you find this to be a balm for your frayed nerves at this time. Welcome, Rabbi Fersco. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss your book, We Need to Talk About Antisemitism, which came out in August of this year and literally could not be more timely, prophetic. I was reading your chapter about Israel. I mean, it's really unbelievable. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. First of all, you explain why, but tell listeners when and why you decided to write the book and what was sort of the final straw that said, okay, I'm writing, I'm making this into a book. I've been thinking about it long enough. Sure. So I've been preaching and teaching about anti-Semitism for the past 10 or so years. I'm a congregational rabbi, and that affords me the privilege to speak from the Bema and to talk about urgent moral issues. And one of the issues that I saw rising in the world of my congregants and just the world in general was anti-Semitism. And so I spoke about it frequently. And, you know, there was some pushback because it's hard to even fathom this, but anti-Semitism was not in the news. And in fact, if you grew up like I did, it really felt like it was over in Mm -hmm. a lot of ways. It was a history, something we learned about, we went to museums about, we heard testimonies about, but it wasn't us. So at that time, you know, it certainly wasn't a popular thing to discuss. But of course, you know, I kept talking about it because I kept seeing it in ways that just made me really uncomfortable. And the more I kept speaking about it, people started sort of coming forward to me with their own stories. You know, something at my child's school made me really uncomfortable. I'm not sure what college to send my daughter to because I heard that there was some Israel hostility on campus. Things like that kept creeping up and the stories became more and more troublesome and urgent. And then um, in 2020, my synagogue was attacked with um, a baseball bat, the the glass door. And it was during the Black Lives Matter protests. And I, I say that just to give some context because there was a a great deal of of destruction that night of the protests in the city. So I'll never know what the attacker had in their heart. (laughs) You know, was this targeted towards us specifically as Jews? Was it just a part of a night uh, of larger aggression about other problems in our world? But for me, seeing the shattered glass of my synagogue broke my heart It was reminiscent of other historic attacks against the Jewish people. And at that moment, I decided, you know, I I need to take my message wider. I think that as congregational rabbis, our platform is incredible (laughs) to be with people, to hear people, to, you know, speak out. But there are times where we need to reach out, you know, beyond our immediate congregations. And I, I felt that this was one of those urgent moments. You talk in the book about microaggressions and and the little things, as you just said, that what is this? Should I worry about this? Like our, our radar is up a little bit. And that led, to, of course, to some of the bigger questions that you write about. Talk about how even these little things have been, how we're starting to creep in. Like what are some of the things that, that you were seeing aside from college campuses? Sure. So small things, you know, I was working out in the gym with a partner and she was telling me a story about somebody. And she said to me, you know, you know who that person is. She's Jewish, but, but pretty. 
<laughs> to me. Hello, big Jewish star. She knows what I do. She knows about my life. Obviously, the implication is you can't be both. Those two things are not consistent with each other. Not Jewish and pretty. Jewish, but pretty. Small comments like that, I think, are often very revealing. And they're very hard for us to know how to address. Do you make it really uncomfortable with your friend or your coworker or your supervisor? Do you call them out? And I think at this point, at this moment, Jews are more likely to say, you know, I'm not sure what you meant, but I do want to let you know how that made me feel. But we're seeing these sort of microaggressions, what I call in the book, the narrowing of the Jewish people, you know, the typing of us, the sort of pushing us into this one single dimensional way of of looking, being, and acting is really a a problem that we need to push up against. So I'm I'm not here for microaggressions because I think often they portend a, a much larger problem. Yes, which of course is, I mean, the most unthinkable macroaggression you could ever imagine or that I could have possibly imagined. In the book, in the chapter about Israel, you conclude with sort of three things, three tacks that we could take knowing the history and everything that's going on now. And I'm wondering how you feel about it, given what's happened. Right. So how can we fight Israel-based anti-Semitism? You say, in my mind, there are three options. Our first option is not to fight it. Instead, we can leave. We can leave the institutions, organizations, and universities that are making it increasingly clear they don't want us. We can start our own institutions, our own climate change advocacy groups, blah, blah, blah. If you are not Jewish, but support Jews existing in a America, you can join us and help us build these new structures. We need you. And then fast forward, then there is the second option. We can stay. We can try to change this trajectory from within. We can send our children to these colleges and help them represent as Jews. We can speak up and speak out. We can counter protest and counter program. We can remind people that just as we have every obligation to fight for dignity and justice for others, we also have every right to be a part of that work. You say this this is not a small ask these days. And then finally, you say, and then there's option three, do nothing. We like to say there are no wrong answers, but in this case, there is one wrong answer. Doing nothing is the outcome we absolutely cannot tolerate. We cannot pretend this problem is on the periphery when it is pervasive and appalling. Ignoring it is enabling it. Denying it is helping it flourish. (sighs) Go from there. It's a very intense moment to have this conversation. I'm so glad we're having it, but please forgive me if I'm emotional. I'm very emotional right now. How, how can how can you not how can we not all of us be emotional? I mean, for context, because you know, for people listening to this long after this is aired or whatever, this is now just one week. Is it even a week? A week and two days after the horrific attack, massacre, terrorist, bludgeoning, just hostage-taking situation from Hamas against Israel, uh, one from which the entire country and particularly the Jewish community worldwide is reeling. And, you know, to your earlier point about thinking anti-Semitism was sort of over, this is the biggest, most horrific and unthinkable thing that has happened in many of our lifetimes, particularly, you know, the millennials you talk about in the book. But even for me, I'm 47. Of course, I've spent my life learning. And when you talk about smashing the door, I'm like, Crystal knocked. you know, like everything has a, a, a corresponding event in history that we've learned over and over again. And I think that is why this is one of the many reasons why this is so terrifying, because we know what happened next and what the 
what the start was and what it could lead to and and all of that. So this is the context into which we are discussing anti-Semitism in general and where you saw it just whenever you wrote this like a year ago to where it is today and how prophetic this ended up being. So yes, in the book, I, I describe three different approaches for um, diaspora Jews to respond to anti-Israel hate. Uh, the first is to leave. And I mean that both literally and metaphorically. Um, Jews leave places, right? That's how my family got here. It's probably how your family got here. And it's happened to us over time, both by our own volition, but also from expulsions. So the Jews of France are physically leaving right now, for example, and and, um, doing mass immigration waves to Israel. We can leave. We can leave our physical places, but we can also leave our institutions. Many of these institutions have made it clear that it is not a, a welcome space for Jews that they've diminished the ability for Jews to be able to feel like they can be Jewish, do something as simple as wear a Jewish star, share their love for Israel openly, and we can start our own institutions. There's plenty of precedent for that. The Jews of the Roman, uh, when the temple was destroyed, the Jews kept going. (laughs) We changed our whole way of life, our whole way of Jewish being. When Jews were expelled from Spain, we went to Israel. They wrote Kabbalah Shabbat, which you and I are still saying in shul every week. There's plenty of precedent for Jews starting new initiatives, new institutions, and building our own way. That's option one. Option two, and I've seen a great deal of this in the aftermath of these horrific terrorist attacks, is staying and fighting. So I've, I'm blessed to have many Israelis um, in my American community and, you know, they're incredibly active in, in, and joined by American Jews and non-Jews in raising their voices, uh, organizing against institutions that they feel are exacerbating hate speech, exacerbating anti-Semitism. And that's another option. You know, let your civic leaders know where you stand. Fundraise for Jewish causes. If you're not Jewish, call a friend <laughs> and say, how can I help? Get involved. And I think we're, we will do both of those strategies right now. The one strategy that I greatly caution against is to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Doing nothing is being complacent. Doing nothing is allowing anti-Semitism to flourish. And we simply cannot afford that at this moment. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How are you talking to the congregation about what happened? How are you processing this? How are you personally handling this? How do you get up and do the everyday things and hold the fear and the everyday, you know, I think that is something everybody is struggling with right now. How to, do we do our normal things? How, how do you, how do you hold both? So how are you sort of holding both and how are you communicating and just how are you doing? The first thing I want to say is that there are levels of crisis here. And my heart first and foremost goes out to all the families of the victims and the hostages um, everyone in Israel <laughs> that is is struggling at this moment, and and that's its own level. For me, as a diaspora Jew and, and as a, a leader, I would say I'm doing poorly, <laughs> like most of us are. But I'm continuing. We have to keep going. The way I'm talking about this in my congregation, for me, it's always about reaching back towards Judaism. We have suffered many, many times before. We've suffered recently. We've suffered in the ancient past, and it's all there. If you look at Tanakh, at the Hebrew Bible, there are entire books <laughs> dedicated to this. There's Lamentations, there's the Book of Job, there are Psalms of comfort. For me, that's where my strength comes from, my our wisdom tradition and our history. And I think it's also a very important moment to put down your phone if you can and be with each other be in community. We listen to each other. We grieve with each other. We embolden each other. And we need to lean into Judaism. You know, Hamas would like to eliminate the Jewish wife. We can't let them do that. So every time I feel a sense of panic and dread, which is a lot of times, I do a Jewish thing. <laughs> you know, give tzedakah, light the Shabbat candles if it's time. Like, call a friend, visit the sick, lift up the fallen, fulfill a, a mitzvah, a commandment. We need to continue our particular way now more than ever. Do you feel unsafe? Yes. Like, do you feel unsafe walking into temple every day? Yes and no. So yes, I feel unsafe. Of course I feel unsafe. Look what's happened. <laughs> it is not, you know, of course. However, we keep going. We have to show up. We have to be there and we have security. Unlike Israelis, we do not live in arms reach away from a murderous terrorist organization. And now more than ever, I feel like it's essential to show up in public as a Jew. Who should be reading this book right now? <laughs> I mean, anyone that's curious about how to help the Jewish people. I think the book will give you a sense of history, but it's not a history book. I think the book will give you a sense of the state of anti-Semitism here and now, what's led us to this point, what Jews are facing every day. And hopefully it will give us the opportunity to fight against it in a clear-minded 
emboldened fashion. And people who are listening and feeling compassionate but are not Jewish, what can they do to help? So many things, and it's essential. Jews are a tiny minority. (laughs) We cannot fight this fight alone. We will not win without the support of others. You can ask a Jewish person, how are you doing? (laughs) What can I do? You can give money to any of these important causes and you can speak out in your own organization. You know, what we're seeing is sort of a growing public complacency for the Jewish people and in some cases just a lack of support and middling responses to these horrible attacks and it's not acceptable. So if you can be an ally in your school system, in your workplace, in a civic organization of any kind, I think that that will go a long way. I know I've had friends reach out to me that aren't Jewish and it's just deeply reassuring. What are you most afraid of and what is the thing that is keeping you going the most? I'm most afraid of Hamas. That's what I'm most afraid of. They're a, a murderous terrorist organization. I am, what's keeping me going? So many things. My fierce belief and love for the Jewish people. Uh, you know, we are the eternal people. It's who we are. I've dedicated my life to the study of the Jewish people, the support of the Jewish people, love for the Jewish people. And so many of us have. So I think I'm emboldened by the strength of our community, by the passion that we've shown, the grit that we're showing, the unity, the solidarity. And just as always, you know, now, but always, I'm fueled by the sort of brilliance and divine nature of our Torah, of our tradition. So there's, there's really nothing that is going to stop us from fighting this. And and sorry to keep asking you tactical questions, but I think a lot of people are looking for specific answers for all the Jewish people out there who are processing this, understanding the sort of new landscape and reality of life, of how people feel, people who are feeling very betrayed by people who are siding with opposition. And that's, you know, on another level of sort of emotion. A lot of people I think today are going through, uh, what is the counsel for them? What is the, what are the most helpful things that we can all do both to cope, but really to help, to help fortify the Jewish people, to, you know, keep our values strong, to how should we be speaking out? How should we be supporting? Like, give us a roadmap here. Sure. So these are my priorities. One, I give resources, however much or however little I can, to organizations that are on the ground in Israel. So like I saw that Bloomberg was matching donations to Magin David Adom, which is like the Israeli Red Cross. For me, that was easy. Someone asked me to do that. Click, click, click. Done. Do that. You know, I like to support Federation. They're very set up here. And also um, on the ground in Israel, I was able to speak at their rally last week that they put together and 20,000 of us showed up in New York, you know, in an instant. It was remarkable. The mayor was there. The governor was there, you know. So I like to support them and they're doing incredible work. So the first level is like supporting things, actions that are happening in Israel. If if that's, uh, if you feel compelled to do that is something that for me is is top of mind. 
The second thing, which I think is very much on the minds of Jewish Americans these days is what do we do here? <laughs> you know, how do we cope with what you're describing here? A sort of landscape that's newly revealed to some people and a shifting of a narrative that I think some people are, are very uncomfortable with. One, you can't fix everything, okay? <laughs> so you need to just know this is one step at a time. And the next, there are two steps here that we can do at home. One, double down on Judaism. It doesn't matter if you've never done a Jewish thing before. It doesn't matter if you went to Hebrew school three times and then you quit. It, it doesn't matter if, you know, who you are. If you're Jewish, now is the time to engage in Jewish practice and behavior a little more. So pick one thing and try it. One easy thing. The second thing to do is to observe the landscape and obsess where you might have leverage. You might have some leverage in your school system. You might have some leverage in your workplace. You might be a writer and be able to write something. You, you know, I, I'm not sure. Um, I know a lot of your people are moms. Like you have a lot of leverage in your family, you know, use it. Those are the two things I would say. Do something Jewish and use your leverage where you have it. How do you feel about future books? What would the next book be to follow up? We need to talk about anti-Semitism. What do we need to talk about now? <laughs> even know what the next hour is going to be, Zibi. <laughs> I don't, I'm not asking for an actual book. I'm saying yeah. theoretically, I'm not saying go to your study and start writing. Just saying, what do we need to talk about? What else? What would the follow-up be? <laughs> That's a great question. And I'll think about it. I'm not really entirely sure. For me, I think it's about more broadly about Jewish American identity, that there's a lot of space there to develop what it means to be a, a Jewish American today. And um, that's within the context of anti-Semitism, but it's also beyond the context of anti-Semitism. And, you know, that's, that's where my life is in my heart. Amazing. Any last thoughts for anyone going through this or who maybe they're listening to this months ahead and who knows what will have happened in the interim? What thoughts of yours do you want to get out there? most important thing is to have people talk to. Be in a community. I think that helps process. I think that if you live on the internet, that will give you one, a, a great sense of anxiety that feels interminable, overwhelming, and unresolvable. And it will also give you a shallowness of existence. You know, uh, three lines. There's not enough lines. <laughs> to talk about what's happening here. And it's misleading, you know, it warps things. So I think if you're a kid, march yourself into Hillel. <laughs> if you're a college campus, find a Jewish youth group, find a synagogue community, a sports team, a friend group, whatever, where you can be yourself in person and see somebody else's humanity. If you're a mom, like, <laughs> you know what to do, you're doing it. Call your mom friend, reach out to your book clubs, Go to your synagogue, you know, like I think moms are incredible in this moment. And I think the key thing to do is things will continue to happen. This will get more difficult on many levels. There will be, you know, very, very difficult moments for so many people in the future. And, and, and it's very sad and heartbreaking. 
And I think when those things happen, you need to be able to have people to talk to already. So make your communities now. I love that. Rabbi, thank you so much. Thank you for talking today. Thank you for all the work you do. Thank you for this book. Could not have been more timely. I wish everybody would read it. <laughs> so, Me too. Thanks thank you. so much. Hang in there. Good luck to you. Thank you. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 